Anything can happen when the NFL draft arrives. That's especially true for the Seahawks, who have been as unpredictable as any franchise in the NFL with John Schneider and Pete Carroll at the helm. To enjoy our Blue Friday episode, Nick Lee and I are going to be playing a bit of fact or fiction, predicting what's going to happen next weekend in Las Vegas. Here our latest episode of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Blue Friday episode, my co-host Nick Lee. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We're now inside one week to go until the 2022 NFL Draft in Las Vegas, just six days away from the start of the first round when the Jaguars are on the clock. We're going to continue our coverage today. Nick's going to put on his Mel Kuyper cap and Great, Rob Rang and I's first three rounds of our dual mock draft. Plus, we're going to play a bit of fact or fiction, projecting what we expect to see happen for the Seahawks at the draft next weekend. Jam-packed episode coming your way, so let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. We've seen the narrative. It's really been there since the middle of the college football season that this quarterback class for the 2022 NFL Draft hasn't been receiving glowing reviews. A year ago, there was a little bit different narrative. You had Sam Howell from North Carolina that was getting some number one overall pick buzz. Then you had players like Kenny Pickett that weren't even on the radar and then had a monster season. I think it was his seventh year senior season at Pittsburgh. Basically been there since I graduated from high school, but had a big season. And now he's on the radar potentially as a first round pick. But It's a draft class at the quarterback position that certainly is not receiving the reviews that last year's class did when you had five signal callers go in the first 15 picks. And John Schneider and Pete Carroll had some interesting comments that they made in their pre-draft press conference about this very quarterback class without Russell Wilson and clearly a long-term vacancy under center for them. Yeah, I mean, they said, I I would say there's a quietness about it that can make people feel that... uh either anxious or extremely calm. There doesn't seem to be a lot of buzz right now. That's happened in the past two, where all of a sudden, I think it was the year that Jake Locker or Christian Ponder went and a whole group of guys went, or or it was pretty quiet and they all went really high. Quote That was a quote from uh, the press conference. And I, I agree that's, you know, I, I think Kenny, Pitt, uh, Kenny Pickett was throwing uh, passes to Larry Fitzgerald at Pitt at one point. He's just been there so long. Um, but it, it's it, it has a little bit of 2011 written all over it for me. Um, where you have a guy, you know, Blaine Gabbert went 10th overall in, in, in 2011. I'm not saying a guy like, uh, I'm not saying guys like this will be a Blaine Gabbert. I'm, you know, he, he had a couple of good years, but I don't know. It's, he certainly wasn't worthy of a, a top 10 pick. Obviously Cam Newton was the number one overall pick MVP, got him to a Super Bowl. Uh, Christian Ponder was 12th overall. So, um, there clearly is not that number one guy. There is not the, I, I think it's starting to become Malik Willis and it's almost, I don't know. For me, it's almost like they're forcing it. Like they, they, they have to have a quarterback in the top 10 or everyone's brains are going to explode. And and th- that they've kind of talked themselves into Malik Willis, where I think Malik Willis has the a top 10 ceiling. Um, but certainly it, it, he has boomer bust written all over him. You could either have, you know, a Jamarcus Russell or, you know, Cam Newton or, or 
Tyrod Taylor, or you could have, you know, Lamar Jackson, anything in between really with him. Um, I think he's got all the traits. Um, you just wonder about, you know, how, how well he can process uh, NFL football, but this quarterback class, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend to be a quarterback guru. I'm not going to pretend to be a guy that's making six figures, di- uh, you know, dissecting this, uh, this draft, but certainly as a, as a, as a fan and a vet, having a vested interest in this quarterback class for the Seahawks, no one really excites me like this is the guy this is the guy we got to get and it's, he's going to change this the fortunes of this franchise there isn't a guy this year that at least at the start at least on paper uh brings that kind of excitement to to a fan base and this time of year you got to take everything that coaches and general managers say with a huge grain of salt because i certainly would not put too much stock into what schneider said as far as comparing this year's group to that 2011 group At the same time, though, it could have been a subtle shot at this group and basically opening the door to saying, we really don't like any of these quarterbacks early. And look what happened in 2011 when teams forced the issue and drafted players like Blaine Gabbert and Christian Ponder that early. And then they both lasted just a couple seasons with their team. And then in the case of Ponder, he was out of the league. And then Gabbert, He's been in the league as a backup for a long time, but never became a full-time starter, a successful one at that. And then you had Jake Locker drafting that class who was retired after four years where he struggled with the Titans. So aside from Cam Newton at number one overall, the rest of the quarterbacks that were drafted in the first round that year absolutely bombed. So it almost read to me like it was a little bit of a warning, like, yeah, there's not a lot of buzz out there, but you know, it could end up like this, almost saying, I don't want us to be involved with that. It also could be a smokescreen, though. John Schneider could be in love with one or two quarterback prospects in this draft class, but not wanting to tip his hand might be saying, you know what? Hey, rest of the NFL, you know, this could be the 2011 class. How about you let one of these quarterbacks slip to the end of the first round or early second round, and then we'll gladly go get them. So there's gamesmanship in the words that GMs and coaches use this time of year. And so I found that to be kind of an interesting quote. And then on the flip side, Pete Carroll didn't dive into any prospects and nobody should have expected that there was going to be specific comments from Schneider or Carroll on a specific draft prospect at any position, because that's just not how they operate. There are other GMs in the league that might be willing to discuss certain players. The Seahawks are not going to do that, but he did, did admit that he was very impressed with this group of quarterbacks in, term of their press, uh, in terms of their preparation for meetings. The Seahawks have had meetings with most of those top five quarterbacks, if not all of them. They had at least one coach at all five of those quarterbacks' pro days. So they've done their due diligence. They have looked closely at this group as they had to, with Russell Wilson being moved to Denver. And if they have a guy they like, at least based on what Pete Carroll said in the press conference yesterday, Sounds like they are comfortable with all five of these players being pro-ready, at least in terms of understanding what they need to do to succeed at the next level. Now, this is not to say that none of these quarterbacks, or all these quarterbacks stink. None of them are going to make anything in the NFL. It's really about draft position and and optimizing the position you have. Like with the Seahawks, I I believe strongly that they can build around whoever they take at nine, if if they do choose at nine, or maybe trade back to 12, 15, whatever, Get a solid franchise cornerstone non-quarterback there, and later on the draft. I mean, Derek Carr went 36 overall. He's a three-time Pro Bowler. You know, and we can go on and on about the guys that that weren't first-round quarterbacks that turn into very solid championship-level quarterbacks. It's it's not a a prerequisite to get a first-round quarterback 
in order to guarantee that they're your franchise. I mean, Russell Wilson, obviously, is the best example. And, you know, Tom Brady, I know he's a complete unicorn and um, the unicorn among unicorns. Um, but it's it, it, it's not an end-all, be-all statement. I really, truly think that this is one of those classes where, yeah, get a, if you, especially if the Seahawks can get a couple rounds or a couple picks up in the top 32, top 35, get a franchise cornerstone, and then maybe get your guy maybe a couple picks early, you know, a Ritter in the late first round, that kind of thing where we were discussing before the, before the show, we'll get into this later, but they can move, they can move around some pieces. But I really think with this kind of class, uh, the Seahawks probably should focus more on getting a, a franchise cornerstone elsewhere at another premier position to build around. Yeah, we'll see what happens. The track record for second round quarterbacks being successful franchise guys is pretty limited over the last decade. You have players like Colin Kaepernick that when he first came in the league, led the 49ers to the Super Bowl. And obviously we know his story is very unique. Andy Dalton, you had Derek Carr, but a lot of the other quarterbacks that were picked in the second round, a lot of them never even got a chance to be a starter full-time for a season. And a lot of them only lasted a year or two in the NFL. So the chances of hitting in the second round are pretty low in terms of percentage, but if you play things outright and quarterbacks that maybe could have been first rounders end up slipping the second round with those two picks they've got, then Seattle might be able to do what they did with Russell Wilson, a player that they had a higher grade on. Let's get him at this point where it's good value. And then maybe they can get their next franchise quarterback. And that's what's going to make this draft so intriguing for Seattle being in such a different spot than they've been now for the last 10 years, needing a new signal caller coming up next. Rob Rang and I have been in the midst of our dual mock draft, and we're going to continue that on Monday and Tuesday with rounds four through seven. But up to this point, we've been very active, five picks apiece in the first three rounds. Nick's going to put his Mel Kuyper hat on, and he's going to do some assessing of our mock drafts so far when we return here in a moment. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that gives you the features of $200 sunglasses for a fraction of the price. That means polarized lenses, well-constructed durable frames, and premium high-end finishes. Also something you won't find anywhere else is Shady Ray's insane protection program. Shady Ray's includes lost and broken protection in every pair. They will send you a brand new pair if you lose them no matter what has happened. Give them a try, and if you don't love them, you'll pay nothing. It's as simple as that. Plus, 10 meals are donated to fight hunger in America when you shop with Shady Ray's. Exclusively for our listeners, head to ShadyRays.com and use the code Locked On to get 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. That's Locked On for the best deal of the season. 50% off two or more pairs of Shady Rays sunglasses backed by over 150,000 verified five-star reviews. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting stats and sports informational needs. Find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, news, and more, including this year's basketball playoffs and the start of the Major League Baseball season. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports and wagering informational needs, from live betting to the playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Blue Friday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined by Nick Lee. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Coming up for the first time ever, Locked On is hosting live coverage of the 2022 NFL Draft from our studios in Dallas with pick-by-pick analysis from our local team experts and draft gurus. Tune in all three days as our draft team guides you through every pick and every trade in real time. It starts on Thursday, April 28th, 
at 7 p.m. Eastern, available on Locked On NFL on YouTube and on the Odyssey app. We're now six days away from the real thing, the 2022 NFL Draft. And earlier this week, Rob Rang and I kicked off our annual dual mock draft. And both of us make one pick a piece. We have the same draft pick. So any trade that's made, we have to both agree upon it. So we have the same draft choices. And through Thursday, we have made five selections in the first three rounds. We're going to continue with day three of that mock dual draft on Monday and Tuesday. We'll have our final five selections that we'll be going through on those two episodes. But we kind of reached a halftime point here with Rob being out until Monday. And Nick, this provides the opportunity for you to kind of throw your hat in the ring a little bit here and evaluate the picks that Rob and I made so far in this dual mock draft. So let's get started. First round, Rob and I dropped back to pick 11 just to tune you in on what happened in the draft. We moved down two spots with the Washington Commanders, got a second round pick back in return. So we now have 40, 41, and 47. So you're going to be assessing all those picks here in a moment. But at pick 11, both of us went with tackles on our mock draft here. He got to pick Trevor Penning first. He had the coin toss, and so he chose Penning out of Northern Iowa. And I picked Charles Cross out of Mississippi State, maybe a player that, from a scheme standpoint, maybe doesn't make as much sense for the Seahawks, at least what they've looked for in the past, but one of the best pass-protecting tackles in this class at number 11. Looking at those picks, Nick, what jumps out to you? Well, certainly – Penning at 11, I think, will raise some eyebrows around, you know, the pundits. I'm not going to throw myself in the ring of experts. And I feel like me picking apart a Rob Rang mock draft is like someone, you know, critiquing a, a dish from Gordon Ramsay or something. I don't know. I feel like unqualified. I hope he doesn't throw or hurl a skillet at my head or something. Um, but it's for me, Penning, I think, makes the more sense from a fit and a scheme standpoint. Charles Cross has a bit, he's a bit more NFL ready and a bit more battle-tested. Um, so for me, Penning is, if I had to pick a reach, Penning would be it. Um, just, But I, I get the, I get both picks. As far as, for me at 11, you know, if, if, the, if, there's a ta- if there's not a tackle there that isn't named Evan Neal or Kwan, um, you know that I, I might trade back again to maybe in the teens. I think the sweet spot for a guy like Penning is like, you know, 15, 16, 17. But I get the sentiment as well that you have a guy you like, you wait too long, you feel like you're going to miss out on him, go get him now, maybe have a bit more of a reach. I get that kind of mentality um, for Penning. So uh, really, I can't argue with going tackle either way because you you got to have a franchise left tackle. I mean, there's just no there's no if ands, or buts about it. Um, so for me, uh, I, I would probably side if I had to pick a winner. Um, as far as value goes, Charles Cross would be there um, as a better as a better value pick. Um, it's close though. It's close. I get, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like best player available and value versus fit. Um, and, which is a really hard argument. Um, I, Penning, I'm really high on Penning as well. Um, but as far as at 11, I'm going to go cross here. I just think he's, you know, over 20 starts or, uh, at an sec level dealing with sec pass rushers. He's more battle tested. He's, he's more NFL ready, but Penning has all the traits you want of a guy of a sea hockey left tackle, but edge slightly goes to cross here. For uh, Corbin, let's go to our second round selections. Now, the first one we've got again, Seattle's got back to back second rounders, and John Schneider's excited about that. Pick number 40, 
I got to pick first in this particular instance. We were doing a snake draft, so to speak. And I decided to pick a pass rusher, bringing in Arnold Ebicady from Penn State, a player that is shooting up a lot of draft boards, kind of a late bloomer after starting his career at Temple, had a great year for Penn State a year ago. And then Rob decided to dip into the quarterback group at pick number 40, going with a player that has been seen pictured talking to Pete Carroll at the Combine in Mississippi's Matt Corral. Yeah, I'm going to kind of switch these around and go quarterback versus quarterback here since, you know, 40-41, really, what's the what's the difference there when you have back-to-back picks? Um, so as far as Team Corral or Team Howell here for you, I, let's just, I, I'm just going to group all these together. Um, Ebicadia, I love. I, I think maybe – I know he's shooting up boards. Um, I, I'm hoping there's better options at edge at 40 than, than Ebicadia. I, I get um, why he's – who he's excitable, but – um, there's a, there's a couple guys I have ahead of him that could be around in there. Um, it, it's a solid pick. I mean, you got to get an edge guy. You have to, and he, he's a guy that, that could be NFL ready. Um, for me, it, it, Matt Corral, I'm a big Matt Corral fan. Um, I just like his toughness, his physicality. Um, and just, I, I know this kind of is viewed as a negative with him, with the whole RPO offense. And I know the Seahawks don't run a ton of RPO. But just the fact that he was forced to make split-second decisions against SEC speed, even if the Seahawks aren't doing RPOs per se, just having that kind of split-second decisiveness is really useful in the NFL. You mean you got to make? I mean, we all know you got to make insane decisions insanely fast, and having that already in your brain, like uh, Matt Corral does with the RPO, I, I like that a lot. I know he's not as you know thick as maybe Howell is, and maybe doesn't have that as that Howitzer deep ball kind of as Howell. Um, it, it's splitting hairs and Ebicady as far as at 40. And if I had to pick 40 versus 40, Ebicady versus Corral, I think I'm going Rob here. I, I like Corral. I like both of them, but I think I'm going to go Rob here with, with Corral, the Corral pick. I, I'm a big, I, I like Corral. I think he's probably number three on my board of quarterbacks, maybe three, four. Um, and, and if you get him at 40, I think that's pretty good value. And Ebicady, so if I had to pick a reach, I'm not sure Ebicady at 40 is much of a reach, but. Certainly at Corral down at 40, I've seen him a much higher than that. Um, so I'm going to go Corral here and, and lean towards Rob. So it's tied at 40. Yeah, and that brings up a really interesting point here because, Nick, on this draft with those back-to-back picks, Rob and I basically took the same approach. We just flipped when we drafted right. guys. <laughs> and we could have made this easier if I would have picked my quarterback at 40, but I was not anticipating that Rob was going to turn around and then draft a pass rusher like I had done in the previous pick, but that's what he did. And basically he turned Seattle into the Seattle rebels because he drafted Sam Williams from (laughs) Ole Miss at number 41. And I know for a fact that, you know, maybe this is you, you know, this might play into some bias here, but I know for a fact that you are a big Sam Williams fan. So I might be at a disadvantage here (laughs) with these first two picks, even though Sam Howell from a uh, trade standpoint, really checks a lot of the boxes the Seahawks like at the quarterback position. And again, this is another, you know, maybe best player versus fit. And that's, that's the eternal chicken and egg thing with the draft and Sam Howell. I, I don't hate Sam Howell. I'm, I'm not just going to, I don't think he's a bad, I don't think, I don't think he's a bad quarterback. I think he's a fine quarterback and I like his deep ball better than Corral's. Um, I think Corral has a bit better pocket presence um, just, just slightly. And as far as 41 versus 41 for your picks, I do like Sam Williams. I do. Um, 41 is a bit high. I, I, the higher than some people have him. 
I actually have him higher than, than some people. And it seems like Rob does too. Um, if you're looking at the draft network uh, mock draft, he, I think he's in the nineties. I think he's right. Yeah. yeah. He's pretty down there. And that's not unique to draft network. I've seen Sam Williams down there. So um, the, the, you know, the average thinking would be, that's a bit of a reach, but for me, I like Sam Williams a lot, but if I'm strictly going Sam Howell at 41 versus Sam or Sam, yeah. Uh, versus, uh, is it Sam versus Sam? I, I got those names mixed up. Um, but it's Howell versus Sam Williams. Um, yeah. Sam versus Sam. Uh, if I'm, if I'm picking a winner there, I'm going to go Sam Howell, the quarterback, because it's, it's a good value pick as well. You, you, he's got a shot to be a franchise quarterback. You like the deep ball. And if you're looking for a quarterback in that area that has a has a Russell Wilson, hopefully maybe deep ball, um, you know Sam Howell is a guy that that could perhaps provide that. Obviously, that's a big comparison that I that I that I tread carefully with. But Sam Williams, bit of a reach at 41. I like him more than others, but I'm not sure I like him enough to have go have him go 41. Um, so Edge goes to Corbin. So I know I'm kind of playing people pleaser here going one by one, but uh, I, I think it's a slight edge to Corbin here. And I think the tally would look the same if we looked at it from a perspective of we were looking at Hal versus Corral and the edge rushers versus each other. Because I think based on what you've said, you'd probably take Ebicady over Sam Williams if Correct. we're looking in the early yeah. 40s and you would take Corral over Hal. So still, I'm up two to one. I'm feeling pretty good about my chances <laughs> here. Now looking at our last second rounder here, Linebacker Troy Anderson was my pick with number 47 acquired from the Commanders. And Rob, this was our first big detour in this mock draft. He decided, you know what? Number one consensus running back on many boards, Brees Hall, is still there out of Iowa State. I'm going to bring in a potential future workhorse with Chris Carson's future uncertain, Rashad Penny only being on a one-year contract, the injuries he's had. So he went out and got a running back. I went for a guy that can mash running backs in Troy Anderson. I really like this situation because I'm a big fan of Troy Anderson. I think that he's kind of like the Taysom Hill of this draft a little bit, or he's more physical, versatile guy. Um, I think Draft Networks calls him, calls him the most versatile player in this entire class, which is pretty high praise considering some of the, the Twitch, the high Twitch, you know, elite athletes in this draft. Um, the, the, the Seahawks, you know, they have to fill this like Mount St. Helens crater size hole of Bobby Wagner. And they got to figure out how to do that. And I think Troy Anderson, I know he's FCS and the Seahawks have usually not gone that route. I, I think he has a solid shot at being a very fine running uh, linebacker. I'm not saying he's going to be, you know, hall of fame status um, like Bobby Wagner, but I, I think that that's the biggest, that's a bigger need than running back. And Troy Anderson is just a, a fabulous athlete. It's explosive, smart, can, can go sideline to sideline. And so I, I like him. Brees Hall, I think this is a good sweet spot for running backs. And, you know, just a reminder, both Penny and Carson are on one-year deals. And so after this year, if nothing changes, it's DJ Dallas and Travis Homer in the backfield. So you got to figure out a way to, to add some depth there. And I think Brees Hall would be in that situation, you're starting running back. He's, he's that good. Um, but I, I think just with how big of a need it is with Bobby Wagner's departure, I'm going to side with Troy Anderson and Corbin's pick there. I just like, <laughs> I just like the, the, the grittiness, the, the, the FCS it, it turned, you know, elite athletes. I just like the story. I like the fit. And I think it's just a much bigger need at this point. I get that down the line running back is a need. And I think that it needs to be addressed in this draft, but right now 
with the 47th pick, Troy Anderson is a fantastic value pick. Let's look at our last one here real quick. Going into the third round at pick number 72. Now, I will admit, I, I have gotten some flack for this selection from some people on social media because I already took Charles Cross, who's going to be my left tackle. But Seattle has three tackles on the roster right now with five combined NFL starts. Abraham Lucas is getting a lot of second round buzz. If he is there at pick 72, Keith, you got to keep him in state. I'm making him my right tackle. I've got Charles Cross at left tackle. I might have my two starting tackles for the next decade. Meanwhile, Rob goes out and gets another one of these stud linebackers available at 72 from Georgia. And I feel like Georgia's got like 10 linebackers that are going to go in the first three rounds in this draft. But Channing Tindall is his selection at 72 overall. So I got Troy Anderson. He's able to fill the linebacker role a little later in the draft at 72 with Tyndall. This was my hardest one. Uh, I, I really like Abraham Lucas. I, I've done a piece on him. I, I've watched him in person. He is a mammoth human being and a fantastic right tackle. And I think with just the offenses, the, the multiple offenses he, he helped run at Washington State, he is prepared to be a good pass protector to whoever is quarterback for the Seahawks in 2022. I just think he has those good traits. Um, and, I, you know, you got to love a good local story. Uh, I think he's an Everett guy, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so for that sentiment, that's fun. Um, Tyndall, he is an absolute stud. And he's one of those stories where is, is he was he a benefactor of one of the greatest college defenses of this generation? Or is he just as good and belonged on that list? of the all-time great defenders on Georgia's team last year, the championship team. It's, it's a really hard question to answer because, you know, he, he had such an elite defensive line that he had a, a lot of freedom to, to make plays behind him. Um, and, and didn't have, didn't have to, wasn't mucked up a bunch with, with, uh, with blocking and stuff uh, more than others would. Um, so this is a really hard one for me. I, I really like Lucas. I just, I, I like the, I, I just like, I, I wish I could award a half a point to each of you. I know that's kind of lame. Um, and I'm going to make Rob mad. And I feel like I just completely mutilated his mock draft, even though I have the utmost respect for Rob and his draft knowledge. Um, and I'm going to go Lucas. I, I'm going to side with Lucas just because I have such a, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little panicked about the tackle situation and the fact that you, got yeah like you mentioned perhaps your left tackle and right tackle in the top 20 72 picks that that for the next at least five six seven years that is huge obviously they both have to work out and that that's a lot to assume but i just like what i've seen from lucas and this is no knock against tyndall i think you'd be a fine linebacker and a, and a, and a great weapon and and perhaps the, another solid option to replace bobby wagner and inside with jordan jordan brooks but just with the need and and the idea of having two your your top two tackles boom right there I love it so Corbin congratulations and Rob please don't hate me I, I love you you're 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 a very very smart distinguished man but I'm gonna go with Corbin with this one again well I can at least put that trophy in my corner I was <laughs> I was picked by Nick Mel Kuyper Lee as the top draft before we actually get to see these players on the field but anyway. We're going to continue our draft coverage here in a moment with a game. You and I love playing games on Blue Friday. We're going to have a little bit of fact or fiction coming up here in a moment. If you're like me and you're struggling with your New Year's resolution, the weather's getting nicer outside, so I at least have been able to work out, but the diet hasn't necessarily been going how I would like it to go. But 
I've got Built Bar in my corner, and that's helping make things a little bit easier to stay on track, especially Built Bar Puffs. It's a marshmallow on steroids covered in 100% chocolate. Amazing flavors. My personal favorite, banana cream pie. I'll eat two or three of them in one sitting. It's a great pre-workout snack, post-workout snack, or if you're just trying to avoid ruining your diet, it's a nice snack to have at any time in the day. Under 200 calories, less than five net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Also comes in great flavors and regular built bars like peanut butter brownie, orange cream, salted caramel, and they're coming out with new flavors each month. So make sure to check out built.com and see what they're cooking up this month. Go to built.com and use the code LOCK15 for 15% off your next order. Again, check out built.com, enter in the code LOCK15 for 15% off your next order. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Blue Friday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for today's show, Nick Lee. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We're just six days away from the start of the 2022 NFL Draft. It's time for our Blue Friday Game of the Week. A little bit of fact or fiction. And how this is going to work, Nick, I'm going to read off a statement, a prediction. And you and I have to decide whether that is uh, a week from now, when we get to the end of the draft, whether that's going to be fact for the Seahawks or it's going to be fiction. So let's get to it. Our first one here on Fact or Fiction Friday. The Seahawks will pick a quarterback in the first 32 picks. Is that going to be fact or is it going to be fiction? You know, based on our, our conversation today, I, I'm going to go fiction. I, I think that uh, I, I think 40 is a good sweet spot to, to look at some guys on, on the board still, the Matt Corrales, the Sam Howells, and maybe you get lucky with Desmond Ritter. And even if Desmond Ritter falls out of the first round, but it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to go from 32 to 40 magically. You know, he's going to, he's going to be, in, he could be in that range in the 30s too. So, the Seahawks could still trade up and still make this fiction in, in the in the top half of the second the second round. So I'm going to go fiction just because of, of just the sentiment that's been going on about that. I don't think the Seahawks are generally very excited about the, this quarterback class, especially if Malik Willis is long off the board at nine. So I'm going to go fiction. I would have been leaning towards fact up until the last couple of days, and just some things that I have heard through the grapevines suggest to me that they just aren't going to be overly aggressive doing this. So I'm actually going to go fiction as well. If there's a guy they really like at the end of the first, that fifth-year option is going to be enticing. So I could see him trade up. This is one that I was really torn on, but I'm going to say it's fiction. And if they go with a QB, it is going to be at some point in the second round in this draft. And hopefully one of those top five quarterbacks will be available to them when they have those back-to-back picks at 40 and 41. Next one, Seattle drafts a player at number nine that isn't a quarterback, offensive tackle, or pass rusher. Is that (laughs) going to be fact, or is it fiction? Well, if they truly pick at nine and don't trade down, I'm going to go fiction. I I think that's because if, if that happens, a quarterback or a premier tackle or a premier pass rusher have fallen to nine. Um, you know, Evan Neal, I've seen, I've seen for some reason go from number one overall, all the way down to nine. I, Mel Kuyper just had him go to nine and, uh, with Seattle, which I would be doing cartwheels for. So I'm going to go fiction. I think that if they truly do pick at nine, it'll be at one of those premier positions. I am going to, on this particular one, go fact. I, and the reason that I'm going to pull this string is I think that those two top corners that are there, 
really change the game because if you're able to get your hands on Sauce Gardner or Derek Stingley at number nine, I know they haven't drafted a corner earlier than the third round, but I think for those two players, they could change that trend, bringing in a potential all-pro shutdown cornerback. That could change things. You've also got a linebacker in Devin Lloyd that I've heard some rumblings that the Seahawks really like. So maybe they would go that route to replace Bobby Wagner. That's a name that's been on a lot of mock drafts out there. So this is kind of more taking a stab more than anything because that number nine pick, and if they trade down, it really mucks everything up. But uh, yeah, I I think they are going to pick somebody that isn't in one of those three position groups. If I had to make a bold prediction right now, I would say, in fact, that that is going to be fact. Third one here, Seattle won't select a cornerback until the fifth round or later. Fact or fiction? Well, in one of our mocks, this ended up happening. I think it was until the seventh round. We didn't we didn't pick a corner. Um, I know you just made a great point about two corners. I'm going to go fact. And that's because I, I see Sauce going before nine. And I, I think I, I also, as a result, I see an irresistible player, not a corner, uh, maybe an Evan Neal or a Conwell or somebody falling to nine or that they trade back and they get, you know, a Linderbaum or whoever. Um, and just Stingley just obviously is an elite talent, but I don't know. There's just, there's something there that maybe think, made me think that they're kind of a cotton in between there at that pick. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to go fact. I, I think that sauce is truly a generational talent, but I think there's after sauce and, and, and Stingley, there's a pretty large drop off and there's lots of needs for the Seahawks that are more glaring than cornerback that they need to address with some of the upper picks they have in the draft. I'm going to go fiction because if they don't get one of those top two guys, the sweet spot for me in most of the mocks that I have done this offseason for corners has been in that third to fourth round range. That pick 109 to me is a sweet spot. Pick 72 is a sweet spot where they might be able to get some really good value. And this is a very deep corner class. Those two that I mentioned, Gardner and Stingley, are clearly one and two, and there's a big drop off, but there are still some really good corners that you can get on day two into early day three. So in this particular case, I expect they're going to have picked a corner by the fourth round. So I'm going to go fiction on that one. Next one here, real quick, John Schneider will make four draft weekend trades. Fact or fiction? I might make four draft trades in the first round. <laughs> I mean, who knows? I'm going to go fact. I just think he can't help himself, especially with the quantity and quality of the picks he's got at his disposal. I, I, I think this is going to be a fact. Yeah, I'm leaning towards fact at this point, too. And that does not mean that he's going to be trading down 80 times either. John Schneider's traded up a lot in his time in Seattle to go get players like DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Jaron Reed. He'll be aggressive moving up when he wants to. But I expect a lot of activity. Maybe not quite as much as 2019 when he made, I believe, six trades on draft weekend. But I think at least four is a pretty safe bet. So I'm going to go fact to this as well. Seattle will use multiple picks to address the offensive tackle position, fact or fiction. In my mock draft, we just talked about I did, but is that what it's going to look like in reality? Is it going to truly become fact or is it fiction? I hope it's fact. <laughs> That's kind of where I'm going. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm, I, I'm pretty worried about the tackle situation, and especially if the Seahawks can get a tackle at nine or, you know, first round if they trade back. You know, then double down or, or you know, switch it up like what you did, get a left tackle in the first round and maybe your franchise right tackle later on. I think this is going to be a fact. 
Yeah, I'm leaning towards fact in this one too. And it's not just because that's the way I approach that draft. I just think that this is a class, especially the first three rounds. I wouldn't be shocked if they pick two tackles in the first two days because it's that big of a need right now. What we don't know is, you know, the discussion with Dwayne Brown, if that's really something that could happen after the draft, then maybe Seattle will look at that and say, we're only going to pick one. But I'm trending towards fact on this one as well. It's just too critical of a need right now, and they need numbers right now at that position. Going against past precedent, Seattle will pick an FCS prospect in the first three rounds. Fact or fiction? This has never happened under John Schneider and Pete Carroll. They've never picked one earlier than, I believe, the fifth round, which was Towson's uh, Ty Smith back in 2015. I believe we look back, and it's been since 1999 since the Seahawks selected a, an FCS player in the first couple rounds. So that, that's that's quite a bit. I'm going to go, and you both just did it. You both, you and Rob and your mocks did it. Um, I'm going to go fact. I, I think there's, there's plenty of not only solid FCS players, but solid F- FCS players in positions of need for the Seahawks. You know, we talked about Troy Anderson and Trevor Penning. We talked about both those guys. Cole Strange, the possible center out of Chattanooga. Just there's several options of need for the Seahawks for this to be a fact. Yeah, I want to be different than you on some of these, but I have to say fact too because I can't tell you how many mock drafts I've done this year where I've, I've picked an FCS guy early and they had a visit with Christian Watson, the receiver out of North Dakota State. They've been heavily involved looking at Cole Strange, as you mentioned. Trevor Penning's a guy that checks off a lot of boxes, an incredible athlete. And Troy Anderson could be your replacement for Bobby Wagner. I just listed off four guys. And, oh, by the way, I believe all four of those guys participated in the Senior Bowl, too. And we know how much John Schneider, Pete Carroll, love Senior Bowl prospects. They proved they could play against top-notch FBS players at that Mobile event. So I, I have to go fact on that one, too. I think this is the year that that trend is bucked. And last one here, real quick, John Schneider will end the draft with 10 or more selections, fact or fiction. We went back and looked, and at five of the 12 drafts that John Schneider has done, he has had at least 10. I'm going to go fact. I think just like I mentioned, with the quality plus the quantity of the picks he's got this year with the Russell Wilson trade and just some other moving pieces, I think that he's going to make enough trades and enough more moving pieces on, on draft weekend where I think he ends up, I think he ends up right at 10. Fact. Most of my mock drafts, I have had the Seahawks around nine or 10 picks. I'm going to go fiction on this one. And the reason I'm going to, I mentioned it a few moments ago, John Schneider will trade up to go get a guy. And whether that's to get a quarterback in the first round, if that's to move up and get a pass rusher, maybe using that third round pick to get back into the second round a third time, however things end up playing out. I expect Schneider is going to make at least one move where he is trading up and he's going to have to give up maybe a late round pick as part of that deal. So I think they're going to make a bunch of trades, but I think there's going to be some trading up involved with that. And so I'm going to go right flat at nine. I think they're going to have nine selections. They will gain one through all the trades they're going to make. But I think the emphasis is going to be taking advantage of those first three rounds, the first two days. Can they get another pick during that time? Can they go up and get their quarterback or whatever they choose to do? I think nine is the sweet spot. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Nick at Nick Lee 51 Check out the Locked On Seahawks podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming live five days a week. Video form on YouTube. 
When we return on Monday, Rob and I are going to continue our dual mock draft. We're going to be entering day three. We're going to have some fourth and fifth round selections that we'll be making. And we'll take one last look, the final mock drafts that are out there on the internet, seeing who the experts think the Seahawks are going to pick at number nine overall. Enjoy your weekend. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.